Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. For the first time in 25 years, HSR workers are on strike. Also on the agenda today, mortgage renewals. Trudeau is a problem. Naval disaster tours in Hamilton. Jean Champagne and the Unteens rock the Corktown for good cause. And using community partnerships to enhance workforce development. The GMH podcast begins now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. Here in Hamilton, bus stops are going to be relatively empty for how long well we don't know what we do know is the hsr and its workers drivers maintenance staff on strike for the first time in 25 years after negotiations with the city broke down earlier this week we remain ready to go back to the table at any time as long as those talks are going to be productive there's no sense calling us back to the table to discuss strike protocols or things like that if you want to be serious and you want to put a serious offer you want to move off the mark from where you are we're prepared to make some moves uh, on our end that is the voice of atu local 107 president eric tuck who was a guest of ours on good morning hamilton yesterday morning to give us an update on how talks were going and plain and simple no talks were scheduled joining us now from the mountain transit center is lisa Pulesky, reporter with 900 chml uh, lisa good morning good morning rick how are you doing i'm fine what is the situation at the uh, mountain transit center like so uh we've got uh, a few dozen people out here um walking back and forth in front of the uh, upper james mountain uh, transit center um, and we're getting a lot of honks of support from people driving by at this early hour in the morning, commuting to work, because they understand, you know, commuting is, is the transit is a big part of that. And I have uh, ATU Local 107 President Eric Tuck with me, um, and uh, it's he. I'm just going to have him uh, say a few words here. So good morning, Eric. Good morning, Lisa. Uh, yeah, so we've, uh, we've we've started our picketing. Uh, the strike is in full swing at this point. Um, as you know, we haven't been out for 25 years, so it's actually a, a work in progress. My my members are uh, are just learning how to pick it. It's been they haven't been on a picket line in quite some time. <laughs> yeah, like you say, it's 25 years. 1998 was the last one. How did it come to this? So that, you know, the reality is uh, this is the first time ever they've given uh, uh, increases to the non-union staff. Uh, and one of the sticking points for my members is, uh, you know, that 1,100 non-union workers who are earning between 120 and 160 thousand dollars a year got a four percent raise, and then they got a market adjustment on top of that of one to 11 percent. So many of them seen double-digit increases. And my members uh, who've been here on the front lines throughout the pandemic, uh, not working from home, we don't, we're not able to work from home, uh, believe that they deserve to get the same kind of raise. And so the city is saying what ATU is asking for is unsustainable for Hamilton taxpayers and would create, quote, significant instability in labor relations with its other bargaining units. What do you say to that? So the reality is, listen, if you didn't have the money, why were you giving those increases to those non-union uh, uh, bureaucrats earning one hundred and twenty to one hundred and sixty thousand dollars a year? Uh, our working conditions are much worse than theirs. You, you consider the fact that, you know, transit operators quite often work split shifts. It takes us probably eight to 12 hours to get uh, or uh, 10 to 12 hours to get eight hours pay. We have to travel. We don't start and finish at the same place. We're subjected to assault uh, uh, being uh, spit on and swore at. Um, and the reality is, if you're going to have money for anybody, it should be those frontline workers, the core workers that keep the city going every day. So we've heard from the Mayor Andrea Horvath as well, released a statement saying Hamilton is a labor town and is encouraging both sides to work together to come to an agreement. 
how long do you think this is going to go on without coming to an agreement? So, as you know, uh, my members rejected that final offer by 94%. So when the city is ready to make a move, we're here and ready to sit down and, and have those talks. Uh, but it takes two to bargain. We're not going to bargain with ourselves. So if they're prepared to move off of their uh, current uh, position, then we're, we're certainly open to sitting down and having productive uh, discussions. But those discussions have to be productive. Is there anything else that you want Hamiltonians to know as uh, as this strike gets underway? So, so all we want them to know is, look, you know, the last thing we ever want to do, we work in the service industry. We have become very close with our passengers. Uh, we've we've received tremendous support from our passengers. And in fact, many of them said they'll be out here on the picket lines with us. Uh, so the last thing we want to do is withdraw our services and cause this type of disruption for our city. But at some point, you got to draw that line in the sand. When your wages aren't keeping pace with inflation and uh, year after year you find that your money is not going in so far, uh, we have to take a stand and we have to keep pace with inflation. Thank you so much, Eric, for joining us this morning. Not a problem, Lisa. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Rick. We'll send it back to you. Lisa Pileski live on location at the Mountain Transit Center on Upper James, a 900 CHML reporter with uh, Amalgamated Transit Union Local 107 President Eric Tuck. And you heard what he had to say. Number one, his members, who again voted 94 percent in favor of strike action, uh, are still getting used to picketing because this has not happened in a quarter of a century. Twenty five years ago, 1998. That feels like a lifetime ago. It was the last time. Uh, HSR employees were on strike. And that strike, by the way, lasted 12 weeks, three months worth. And if we get anywhere close to that, not only will the gray cap be wiped off the map in terms of HSR service, but think about your holiday shopping experience and just getting to where you need to go, whether it's work or the grocery store, visiting family or friends, whatever the case is. Money is the main sticking point. We've heard that time and time again from both sides, right? The city is offering a 3% raise per year, and year number one would be 3.25% with some retroactive pay. The union saying, listen, we're looking more like 5% and pointing to the big raises that non-union employees with the city of Hamilton received. And so uh, there's a number in the middle because this is usually the way it works. There's a number in the middle there that they have to get to, whether it's 4%, 4.5%, 3.75%, whatever works for both sides. But it, it sounds like both sides right now on day number one have dug in their heels, and who knows how long this will proceed for. Statement from Mayor Andrea Horvath in regards to the transit disruption. Quote, I am disappointed that our city will experience a transit disruption. This is such a hard time for so many people, and I know the disruption of transit services will add more stress to residents and workers. Our transit workers are hugely important to the people of Hamilton, and it's unfortunate that a resolution has not yet been reached. I know we can get through this quickly, kindly, and in a way that is fair to transit workers, our other unions, and Hamilton taxpayers. Mayor Horvath goes on to say this is a labor town and I believe deeply in the collective bargaining process and continue to encourage both sides to engage meaningfully in the best interests of transit workers and our city. Anyone who wants an update on this situation can certainly keep it right here on 900 CHML as we'll have the latest breaking news on the HSR strike. Big thanks again to Lisa and Eric for joining us down from the uh, Mountain Transit Center on Upper James. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Well, this is certainly going to be 
a huge issue come 2026, if not already right now for many people. That is mortgage renewal. There's uh, some new data out that shows by 2026, there's going to be $900 billion worth of mortgage renewals in Canada. That's nearly a trillion dollars. So the question is, will Canadians be able to handle that sticker shock. Brian Hogman is a principal broker and founder of Mission 35 Mortgages and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Brian, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. I'm doing awesome. How are you doing? I'm good. $900 billion is a lot of money. It sounds like an Austin Powers movie. Billion dollars. <laughs> yeah. Like that much money. It is so much money that's coming up for renewal. So it is uh, quite a bit. That's for sure. So we're already hearing some stories of, uh, listen, I, I had a more at a five-year fixed term. It, it came up for renewal this past summer, maybe this fall, and now I'm paying double. Is that a common occurrence? Is that a, a common thing you are hearing? Yeah, we're seeing the mortgage payments go up significantly. And I think it, there, you've got people in different camps right now. There's people that have significant equity in their home. So if they just renew at the higher rate and keep the payment on the same track to pay it off at the same amount of time, let's say it was a 25-year amortization, after five years, it goes down to 20, you see the payment jump significantly. On the other side, what you can end up doing is if you were on a 25-year AM, five years goes by and the rate jumps, we're actually taking that mortgage and putting it back over 30 years. Now, it feels like you're going backwards. But it does help save maybe 20, 30, up to 50% in some cases on the mortgage payment. So you're paying it off over a longer period of time at a higher rate, but it really helps with that sticker shock. Are people being forced to look elsewhere to get that mortgage or or help with that mortgage? Um, alternative lenders, are they going to be lenders? Are they saying, hey, bank mom and dad, I need to tap in once again? Yeah, that's a great point. What ends up happening on renewal right now is, yes, that is happening a lot because banks are aware that, you know, if I qualified for a mortgage five years ago and the rate was 5%, let's say, for example, that I had to qualify on that stress test rate, now today people have to qualify in some cases at 85 or 9%. So that refinance conversation I just spoke about, not everybody will approve for it with a bank because, the qualifying requirements are significantly higher. So in some cases, yes, they may have to end up going to an alternative lender, which have looser uh, lending criteria and pay a premium rate just to make the payments smaller. What are the most common rates right now? Maybe we'll just focus on a five-year fixed. I'm not sure if most people are looking at that, but what are some of the numbers that people are seeing? Yeah, great point. Um, when you see a five-year fix, they fall into two camps. People who are, let's say, buying a brand new property and they're putting less than 20% down. We're seeing those in the mid fives on a five-year fixed rate. So five and a half percent is a great rate, which we see right now on a five-year. Um, if you're having 20% down, 25% down, and it's not what we call insured, you're seeing the rates in the sixes. And now this is one of the first times. So we're seeing First time in a long time, we're seeing the fixed rates start to drop. That is a great indication in the marketplace right now that people are forecasting what's to come. All the people with money that are trading bonds and securities, the market as they call it, they're betting that rates are going to be going down, which is driving the fixed rates lower. So if you are in the market looking for a mortgage right now, be aware over the next week, two weeks, 
even coming up when the next Bank of Canada meeting is going to be early December, because if they pause again, we may see those rates go down another quarter point or half a point. So it's a good time to be very vigilant uh, with your mortgage. Start looking now so you can end up seeing what the options are now, a week from now, and even a month from now. They could be very different. To that end, are more and more people opting for shorter fixed terms, knowing that those numbers might be coming down? They might not want to be locked in for a long period of time. Yeah, great question. I think if you buy within your budget and it's within your goals, um, you know, I like to say to people, do you like to go to the casino? If not, you don't want to bet on rates. You're going to have mortgage anxiety. You won't be able to sleep at night worrying about it. So I think if it meets your goals, yes, definitely try for either the variable because that will drop down or we'll end up seeing a one-year fixed or a two-year fixed. The five-year fixed, I think, is an option for those people that want to set it, forget it. They say, listen, I know my budget. I want to stick within it, and I don't want to have the uncertainty. That's the solution for those people. Are people still jumping into variable mortgages? You, you know what, Rick? That's the first time I would say in months where we've seen people j- just start to go back into the variable rate because the variable rate was significantly higher than fixed rates for a long period of time. Now we're just starting to see that change a little bit where, you know, on a five-year variable, we're seeing a 0.1 to 0.2% almost discount where you can see the variable be a little bit cheaper in some scenarios. Um, What I would say too, for people to remember is that the variable goes down slow. It doesn't jump out the window. It's going to take the stairs. The fixed rates will go down a lot, a lot. I won't say a lot quicker, but not in direct proportion. The variable has more room to go down over the next couple of years, but it's going to take the stairs and likely go fairly slow. And the fixed rate maybe will take the escalator down a little, a little quicker. I hope so. You know what? Maybe run down, <laughs> but then it'll run back up. It'll be like one of those kids yeah. at the shopping mall running up and down and up and down. So, <laughs> Brian, appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us as always. My pleasure. Thanks again. Brian Hogman, Principal Broker, Founder, Mission 35 Mortgages, online, mission35.com. And Brian is also the author of How to Get Mortgage-Free Really Effing Fast, the book on how to pay off your mortgage in Canada with 10 simple steps. And I recall having him on the last time. He was thinking he might add, might have to add a step or two to that equation. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Expressions of hate against uh, Muslims, against Palestinians, against anyone waving a Palestinian flag. This is unacceptable. This is not who we are as Canadians. And if Canada can't figure this out, tell me what corner of the world is going to figure this out. And it's Prime Minister Justin Trudeau holding uh, an impromptu news conference in Ottawa saying that they're trying to get uh, more and more Canadians out of war-torn Gaza, but says the ongoing conflict is causing some uh, some tensions in Canada as well. We're certainly seeing that, whether it's at synagogues, uh, rising anti-Semitism, Islamophobia at all-time highs, according to uh, data that we've we've gleaned. Um, Whether it's uh, talking about Gaza or the price of carbon, or the cost of living, or the list goes on and on in terms of a federal government level. There is new polling out that shows whether he stays on as leader or quits politics altogether, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is a problem for his Liberal Party. How so? Well, let's ask David Collado, the CEO of Abacus Data, who joins us on Good Morning Hamilton. David, good morning. Good morning, Rick. How are you doing? I'm good. What's your latest polling find? Yeah, so we finished a poll last week that showed uh, something we've been seeing for a few months now, which is the Conservatives nationally have 
a double-digit lead. They're ahead by 13 points when you ask people how they might vote today. Uh, they're at 39. The Liberals are at 26, and the NDP's at 18. And again, we've seen that uh, kind of lead hold basically since after July, uh, over the summer months. But what we wanted to do in this survey was better understand, you know, first, is there a road back for the Liberals? And two, why is it that more than half of Canadians say they have a negative impression of the Prime Minister? And on the first point, um, there is. There is a, a narrow path, but there is one. One in three of those who say they don't currently support the Liberals um, tell us that they would be open still to voting Liberal. And some of the key factors that might influence that choice is, one, um, improvements in the economy, lowering interest rates. About a third of people say they'd be more likely to vote Liberal if those things happen. A third say, well, if Justin Trudeau wasn't Liberal leader anymore, that would make them more inclined to vote Liberal. And then there's also the alternative uh, to Justin Trudeau, with people saying, well, if it became clear to them that Pierre Polyev and the Conservatives might win the next election, or if they felt uncomfortable with that idea of Mr. Polyev as Prime Minister, uh, more than a third say they might also be more likely to vote Liberal. So lots of different potential factors that, that point to uh, a road back for the Liberals. But Mr. Trudeau himself remains, I think, a problem. And what we continually see in our research is that the, the views of the Prime Minister are strongly correlated with how you view the government. Um, they basically move in tandem. And his personal numbers go down, so too do people's approval rating of the government. And so when we ask those who have a negative view, what is it about him that makes you feel that way? One of the key findings we, we, we uncovered was it's not that people don't like the prime minister. I mean, one in, I would say one in two Canadians, one in five Canadians, excuse me, say they really don't like the guy. But for the rest who have a negative view, it's, it's mainly because they're just tired of him. It's a government that's been in power eight years. The prime minister's been leader of the, the party since 2013. Um, and, and many of them feel like they're tired of him, that he's not really in the game anymore, and that he doesn't have a clear vision for the country. And so all of that leads to, I think, the conclusion that, yeah, Mr. Trudeau is a right now a liability for his party and a big reason why there's such a desire for change. But it's also because just the government that he leads has been in power for, for eight years. One of Trudeau's biggest legacies is playing out right now on Parliament Hill, and that's the, the, the price of carbon or the carbon tax. And Conservative leader Pierre Poilu have even mentioned that this is going to be a carbon tax election. Uh, is there any early data on how this is playing out in terms of uh, people's perceptions of either the, the Conservatives or the Liberals? Yeah, we, this survey was done after that announcement, and mm-hmm. I don't see any immediate impact, um, you know, where where I think they were really targeting their their uh, their focus was in Atlantic Canada, where that's one region of the country where we've seen a big shift to the Conservatives away from the Liberals. Um, and there we don't see much change yet. Um, there's no indication that people are feeling better about the Prime Minister, or thinking more positively about him since that announcement. I think it's going to take a little bit more time. But the other thing is, that announcement's created, as you've said, a lot more controversy where you've got premiers and the New Democrats and the Conservatives in Ottawa saying, well, let's let's extend this um, carve-out or exemption from the carbon tax to all home heating fuel. So by trying to respond to, to public opinion in, in Atlantic Canada, he's, he's kind of opened um, kind of the hornet's nest, and, and now he's, he's trying to control... Um, you know, any dissension in his caucus and, and questions across the country about why others aren't getting a break on, on their home heating fuel 
uh, bill from, from the carbon tax. So I, I'm not seeing a big change yet. Um, and I think it's, again, where they're trying to go on the offensive and try to change things. Um, Pierre Polyev has been so effective at putting them on the defensive. And so I'm not sure we're going to see much change as a result of that decision. One more minute with uh, David Coletto, the CEO of Abacus Data. Their recent polling shows Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is a problem either way for his Liberal Party, whether he stays or whether he goes. I I just want to talk, you know, whether he goes, you know, who is the next one? Is it Finance Minister Krista Freeland? Uh, Foreign Affairs Minister Melanie Jolie has been mentioned. Former Bank of Cabinet Governor um, uh, Mark Mm -hmm. Carney has gotten some attention. In, in, the, in the last 45 seconds we have, are, is anyone kind of gravitating to any of those? I think the big takeaway is um, no, but not because they couldn't, um, but because most Canadians don't know who any of those people are. Maybe Christian Freeland has some name recognition, but, you know, if you ask people in Ottawa, it's not likely that she would actually run for the leadership if it, if it became available. So, the, you know, the problem that Liberals face is there's no clear, obvious successor to Mr. Trudeau. And the challenge they would have is even if someone in, in the current cabinet was able to become leader, if that, that job became vacant, can they, can they shake off the baggage uh, or the, 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 the sense that they are just a continuation of, of, of Trudeau? Because the desire for change is so deep. But I think, you know, as I think about, you know, is there more risk in keeping Mr. Trudeau, more risk in, in, in replacing him? That's not obvious, but... It, it does feel like I think Canadians are looking for almost a reset. And if Mr. Trudeau announced tomorrow, for example, that he was stepping down and wasn't going to run in the next election, I think it would release a lot of pressure uh, in public opinion. And people could then start to say, OK, well, who's next? And will they make the kind of changes people want to see? As always, interesting times on the Hill. David, appreciate the uh, the data and the insight this morning. You're welcome, Rick. Take care. You too. David Coletto, CEO, Abacus Data, on their latest polling results that show that a lot of Canadians disgruntled with the PM. And after eight years in power, 10 years as the leader, you know, uh, the best before date may have already come and gone. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Speaking of things from yesteryear. We know that the great wars have come and gone. A lot of military veterans are being honored, and rightfully so, this Saturday as another Remembrance Day approaches. Uh, There's a local historian who we've had on the show before is hosting uh, naval graveyard tours and is sharing wartime stories. And his name is Pat Gallagher. He's a local volunteer historical interpreter who joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Pat, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. How are you doing today? I'm good. Tell us about these naval graveyard tours. Yeah, so... Um, again, when I was on last time, I, we were talking about how this started, and, and we did a collaboration tour with the uh, um, Battlefield House Museum and Military Museum with my daughter, Alicia, um, and also with Moira from uh, Dundurn Castle in the Military Museum. And we told the story of the War of 1812, and how we did it was their expertise in those areas really increased uh, the story and the way we were able to tell it. So it went over so well, it was so popular, and, and the information was so great that uh, I was doing naval disaster tours this year, and I thought, why don't we do the same thing? But because a lot of these naval disasters have a tie-in with the wars, I met with Carolyn, who's a site supervisor at Military Museum, and I said, what do you think about doing a collaboration with that? Hmm. So she said, this is a great idea. She said, I got the perfect person. So the one uh, historical interpreter there, his name is Cameron. He came from the Canadian Warplane Heritage Museum. And he's now at Dundurn Castle in the uh, Military Museum as a historical interpreter. So we sat together, uh, again with my daughter Alicia as well. She has to join me every time I go. 
Um, and we started talking about the stories and how we're going to do it. So I would explain about the disaster itself. And Cameron would bring in how this ties in with any of the wars. So, for example, we, we have like the SS Athenia, which is the first uh, passenger liner. It was actually sunk in World War II. And it has a Hamilton uh, tie-in, a huge Hamilton tie-in, with both uh, Hamilton Cemetery and Woodland Cemetery. There's also the Lusitania. Uh, we actually have people buried at Hamilton Cemetery who died on the Lusitania. That would be Dorothy Douglas Brathwaite and James and Georgina Young. And it was sunk in World War I. Um, we, al- we also brought in, and this is how we're kind of doing the tours, is there's also the, like the most famous uh, sinking of, of all time, uh, the, like the most famous naval disaster. I, I always try to say it was the SS Minnow from Gilligan's Island, <laughs> but apparently I was wrong. Yeah. Um, so uh, my, Alicia always says it's the Titanic. So we bring up the Titanic, but how Cameron brought this in is the Titanic actually sank on April 15, 1912, but not near any of the wars. What we talked about is the Olympic and the Britannic, the two sister ships of the Titanic, which had great stories during World War I. But the one thing that we do talk about is uh, on our walk, we end up passing a soldier's grave. Now, this soldier is Sergeant Major Frederick Howe, um, and he died October 2nd, 1919. Now, the reason why we, we stopped there is because World War I, it basically was started on July 28th, 1914, and it, the guns went silent November 11th, 1918. And the Treaty of Versailles was signed on June 28th, 1919. Well, Sergeant Major Frederick Howe states right on his headstone, he died October 2nd, 1919, and he died from being gassed. So one of the things that we bring up is this was well after the war had ended. So as we go to our one section of the cemetery, which is Section S, where we're going to tell the story of Orkney Islands, Scapaflow, which is in Scotland, and it's a naval disaster that happened there after the war had ended. But where we are is at 10 rows of soldiers' graves. Now, the first thing that you'll notice as you're walking up is actually in the summertime, the gardens are beautiful, thanks to Doug, the, uh, the gardener there. And, but you'll notice that you're looking at the backs of the headstones. And the reason why you're looking at the backs is because most headstones, especially military ones, want to face east. Hmm. We're on the west side. They want to be there for the rising sun, for the rebirth. But what we ask people is, please step around the other side. Look at the names, look at the dates they died, and look at their age. A lot of them are not that old, and it was after the war was over. So much like Frederick Howe, Sergeant Major Frederick Howe, who died from being gassed, they were also gassed. They had injuries they received in the war, and they had mental health issues, PTSD. Mm-hmm. So the one thing I want people to remember is, yes, this Saturday Remembrance Day, we honor those who made the ultimate sacrifice overseas. But let's remember those who came back home, those who actually made the ultimate sacrifice, but not within that beginning date and end date of a war. That's a great point. And uh, we know that there's going to be many Remembrance Day ceremonies and services and parades planned for Hamilton, including one at Veterans Place in Gore Park, which goes mm-hmm. uh, on uh, James Street North and down uh, with the parade starting at James Street North down to the park. And uh, that ceremony and, and service will begin at 1045. I do have to ask you, we only have about a minute. Is yep. the, the Hamilton and Scourge uh, involved in this whole tour? Absolutely. Uh, on one of our talks, we do talk about the Helmet and the Scourge. Thanks for bringing that up, Rick, uh, because this is one of the, uh, the, the great talking uh, stories that they have at the Military Museum. And we do talk about that on the way. There is nobody at the cemeteries from there, obviously, but it is a naval disaster that has a Hamilton tie.
tie-in. So mm-hmm. we want to make sure that we talk about that as well. That's going to be very interesting for those who get uh, to take part in the tour. How can they get a hold of you to, to, to book their place, or do they just show up? Okay, yeah, you could just show up. The tours are free. Uh, like I say, you could leave your wallet at home, unless your driver's license is in it. I don't want to be held responsible for any <laughs> fines. Uh, you could actually go to the City of Hamilton website. You just do a search for cemetery tours, and you'll see historical walking tours come up. And it will give you information on how to get a hold of us. Uh, I, I, our last tour is on November 26th. It's at 10 a.m. The tour is about one hour. Uh, but I'm there all the time. And sometimes people just contact the cemetery and say, hey, could you give me a tour of part of the cemetery? I say, Absolutely. And I'll meet them there and give them a tour. Phenomenal. Pat, appreciate the time. Good luck with us. Yeah, thanks a lot, Rick. You have a great day, okay? You too. Pat Gallagher, local volunteer historical interpreter, who's hosting Naval Disaster Tours and sharing some uh, unique and interesting wartime stories. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. This is exciting. Gene Champagne and the Unteens are going to be playing upstairs at the Corktown this coming Saturday for Hamilton Food Share to help those in need during the upcoming holiday season. It's called the It's a Rock and Roll Food Drive and includes Rocket and the Renegades and Spectacular Crash. Joining us now is the one and only Gene Champagne. Gene, good morning. How are you? Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me. Uh, I know it's uh, it's out of the ordinary for a rock and roll superstar to be speaking on the radio at 6.38 in the morning, so I really appreciate you waking up early and joining us on the show. <laughs> oh, no problem. Thanks for doing it. It's an important cause, so yeah, yeah. we'll be here. So you're going to be upstairs at the Corktown this Saturday for Hamilton Food Share. What is going on? What can people expect? Um, well, you know, I playing guitar and singing for this one. Usually people see me with the Killjoys or Gene and Ched behind the drums, yeah. but uh, um, I also play guitar and I have my own band, Gene Champagne and the Unteens, and I write my own music. So if you're a fan of the Killjoys and you're a fan of the Teenage Head, we we sound very much like you mash those two up. Uh, it's, it's rock and roll and it's a lot of fun. And uh, I'm hope- it was the last show of the year for, for myself and I wanted to do something really good. So I thought, okay, well... I want to do my own show because we just wrapped up with Teenage Head and Killjoys wrapped up earlier this year. Uh, and I thought, well, I want to make it something special. So uh, I asked a friend of mine who's also presenting the show from Steel City Music, and he suggested a food drive. And I thought mm-hmm. that was a great idea because, you know, we all know that rocket pri- uh, sorry, grocery prices have rocketed and um, it's all over the news and it, it's just hard for everyone. So... I opted to do that, so I, I joined forces with Hamilton Food Share, and away we go. When you're presenting this idea to the folks at Hamilton Food Share, I'm 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 almost positive they just said yes. Where oh. where when and how? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, they're they're looking for help all over the place, and so many people are, are are joining in helping them, and I think it's just a winner. I think it's such a great idea. Their stats are incredible. You know, I thought it was. I thought it was important, but until you really get the stats from them, it's it's really, really important. Mm-hmm. It's incredible how much it's increased. Just 40% in, in one year it's yeah, went up. It, the numbers are dire. We know a lot of children, uh, certainly with their parents, needing access to the food banks, and it is a very important cause that you're jumping on, so I, I congratulate you for doing so. It's called the It's a Rock and Roll Food Drive. It is with Gene Champagne and the Unteens. It also includes Rocket and the Renegades and Spectacular Crash. It happens this Saturday at uh, upstairs at the Corktown. You can get your tickets online at Eventbrite, at the door. If you've never been to the Corktown, 175 Young Street, an iconic place and and to that effect how fun is it to play at a place like the corktown uh well it's funny because the corktown has been around forever and it, it's a place where 
I certainly cut my teeth. That's where I grew up. I used to go to see all the shows there. I played so many shows there growing up. And, um, yeah, it's it's just a great place. Is there a show or a band you recall going to see at the Corkdown that you thought, wow, that, I mean, that was a killer act. That was the best of all time. Sure, probably Teenage Head. <laughs> <laughs> Not that you're biased or anything. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I was a fan long before I was ever in Teenage Head. Yeah. Well, this is going to be, I think, a, a hugely successful event. Is there any sort of goal in mind in terms of how much food you want to raise? Um, you know what? Honestly, I have no idea because I've never done one before. Um, you know, I do encourage bringing a perishable food item, uh, but you can all, I'll also have donation jars and whatnot, or you can just go to, uh, if you go to my Facebook page, just Gene Champagne, uh, there's, uh, there's a few links where you can donate to, to my event specifically, or if you just want to be, uh, proactive and, and donate to them period you can go to hamilton food share and they have a donation link super easy click on it and away you go too that is awesome tell us about rocket and the renegades and spectacular crash they're also going to be involved in this show yeah rocket and the renegades so that's a friend of mine named robin magger and she's uh, uh she's opened up for teenage head before uh, we've all been friends for a very long time she sort of fits the bill and she's just a firecracker she's a lot of fun and uh I like the music a lot. Um, she did, uh, how do I say this? She did a, uh, a theme song for uh, Laura Babcock. And um, what else has she done? Sounds um, like she's done a lot. <laughs> yeah, she's done quite a bit. You know, she's done a lot in the last couple of years for sure. And uh, Spectacular Crash is uh, Lou Milanero. He's a, a promoter from Hamilton. Mm-hmm. He used to run the St. Hollywood. And um, that's his band, uh, along with Rob Sweeney, who used to be in a band called Durango 95 from way back in the day. And uh, again, very like-minded. Lots of rock and roll. Should be a lot of fun. Sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun. It's a rock and roll food drive at Upstairs at the Corktown this Saturday, all in support of Hamilton Food Share, Gene Champagne, and the Unteens will be headlining the show. Rocket and the Renegades will be there. Spectacular crash as well. You can get your tickets at eventbrite.com. Head over to the Corktown at 175 Young Street. Support uh, the bands and Hamilton Food Share. You can also donate online, hamiltonfoodshare.org. Gene, awesome uh, thought process in giving back to the community. This is going to be a rock and sockum show. Uh, break a leg and have a great show. Uh, thanks so much for having me. Gene Champagne, Hamilton-based, uh, well, as you mentioned, guitarist and drummer, who's also played with Teenage Head and the Killjoys, and that should be, as I mentioned, a pretty cool show on Saturday night. If you have time to go, I would recommend it. Corktown's a great place to take in a live band. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. As we speak, and all week long at this time, we have focused on the Industry Education Council of Hamilton. We're profiling this organization, which does a really uh, great job of connecting education and employment. And we have focused on things like experiential learning from an elementary, uh, secondary, and post-secondary school setting, and an economic development setting. And today we're focusing on community partnerships and how community partnerships play a big part in enhancing workforce development. Joining us now on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Reese Morgan, the Executive Director of the Industry Education Council of Hamilton, Deborah Schweintek from the YWCA Hamilton, Manager of Employment and Training Services, and Samantha Mazzell is the Business Development Specialist with Goodwill Amity. Reese, Deborah, Samantha, good morning. 
Good morning, morning. Rick. Apologies, Good morning. apologies if I butchered your last names. Uh, <laughs> thanks for joining us. Deborah, we'll start with you. Uh, community partnerships and workforce development. What does it mean for the YWCA Hamilton? It's such an essential part of what we do at the Y. It's um, it's important to connect with organizations like IEC, bringing together job seekers, employers, and assisting them and making sure they're successfully able to trans- transition into that employment piece. Samantha, same question for you. Community partnerships, when you're looking at what the IEC does and what Goodwill Amity does in the community, how, does, how, do, how do these partnerships translate into developing and creating the, the workforce of tomorrow? Just like Deborah, we basically do the same. Um, it's just like bringing communities together, bringing job seekers together, bringing um, employers together. Um, we work with IEC. Um, we refer clients to IEC. Um, they have a good training program, just as Goodwill have um, our food and beverage training program. So which is just a collaboration between um, IEC and Goodwill that just works seamlessly. Reese, let's go to you. What is the impact of having these community partners like the YWCA, like Goodwill Amity, and how it bridges that gap between education and employment? Well, I think, Rick, you kind of prefaced it by talking about the HSR uh, strike, the idea about working together as such like that. We couldn't do what we do if we didn't work together with organizations like the Y, uh, Goodwill, uh, um, organizations all throughout the community. Uh, We've been prefacing them all through the week as far as that. But, I mean, things like the Y that does that case management uh, and occupational therapy supports. They're talking about workshops on life skills, employability skills. Really, that one-to-one case management that helps those participants identify their strengths and necessary supports that really helps them in the career pathway training we are a component of that, but we cannot do things, you know, in a, in a silo. We need people along with us to sort of help those uh, uh, in workforce development. How many community partners do you assist or, or assist you? Oh, uh, multitudes. We have uh, right now we're doing our construction uh, awareness program. So even just our our, our advisory group consists of, of uh, uh, organizations, not only in the, in the construction industry, but uh, the Y, uh, uh, Goodwill. Um, areas that really sort of we can grab and help those those pathways, but you're talking uh, a vast amount, and and ones I didn't even touch on things like workforce planning Hamilton that really helps us to look at the data that's what's going to be needed as far as employment, uh, ABA uh, uh, Adult Basic Education Association. So you're talking about uh, areas where not only just the uh, uh, any kind of employer, but uh, uh, any kind of person seeking for employment, but you're talking about newcomers, uh, diverse populations that might struggle in just finding a leg into the workforce. We have so many challenges within our community these days, and Hamilton's not alone, but whether it's housing or the cost of living, inflation, um, an influx of immigration, there are so many challenges ahead. Deborah, let's go to you on this. Despite all those challenges, are there opportunities that we're taking advantage of in this community? Absolutely. I think collaboration is such a huge part of what we do as service providers, making sure we've got the right people at the table to provide those supports to folks as they're wanting to enter into the workforce. It's so important. The EO service providers, the the small not-for-profits, the larger not-for-profits, we all have to collaborate, work together to ensure, and we are working together to ensure that we are supporting folks 
where they need the support the most. Samantha, what kind of feedback do you hear from individuals who eventually end up on your doorstep at Goodwill Amity to say, hey, I'm here to, to, to find a place of employment to maybe kick off my career? What kind of feedback are you getting? Um, our our main um, mission at Goodwill Harris is changing lives through and strengthening partnership and community through the power of work. So we get, um, in, like you speak of touch on immigration, we got an influx of immigrants coming to our doors. And I conducted um, Q&As for them. We had one-on-ones with them. And today we just had a court and we have got 90% of them employed. So they, it's working. And I think we're risk to touch on that as well. I think we work together by sending clients to one another, right, Reese? Um, integrating the, the the two programs together, and it just works. It just works. And people out there need to see and need to understand um, that poverty is a real thing in Hamilton. Addiction is something that's happening in Hamilton. And with with um, partners like Reese, myself, and the Y, we are just there like a stepping stone to help educate and help transform the job seekers that walk to our doors Just a glimpse of the amazing community partnerships and how they enhance workforce development in this community. The Industry Education Council of Hamilton, YWCA Hamilton, and Goodwill Amity. Reese, Deborah, Samantha, thank you very much for your time this morning. Thank you. Thanks, Rick. And best of luck going forward. That is a Herculean effort that takes a lot of hands and a lot of uh, people involved to get people in a, uh, a better place in terms of their career path. Uh, Reese Morgan, Executive Director of the Industry Education Council of Hamilton. Deborah Schweintack, the Manager of Employment and Training Services with the YWCA Hamilton. And Samantha Mazzeau is the Business Development Specialist with Goodwill Amity. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.